ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Versalips, to be your best, you need to squat your best. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com 
mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. And Versalist. When you're at the gym working on your squats, building your leg strength for the next rescue mission, depth matters. If you're like me, getting below parallel on your squats is tough. Well, allow me to introduce Versalifts, heel inserts. These gems have become one of my new favorite accessories in my gym bag. Simply place them into your regular training shoe, either on top or underneath the insole, and bam! You've got a heel lift benefit of a weightlifting shoe, but the comfort and flexibility of your regular trainer. So the next time your workout just has heavy squats, grab your V2 strength inserts. Or how about a run, pull up, push up, air squat, and another run? Grab your V2 endurance insert. Or my own personal workout of running, clusters, and ring muscle up. Grab your original V2 inserts and go crush it. Check them out today at vlifts.com or on Instagram at Versalift. And when you're ready to get a few pair of your own, make sure you get your 10% off with the Real Rescue discount code. Squat well, friends. In this episode, we have more rescues from South Africa. Our guest has spent 35 years with the National Sea Rescue Institute. His stories are yet amazing, and I absolutely am so grateful that he came on here to share them. So please welcome our next guest, Mr. Graham Harding. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Today we've got a guy that comes to us from South Africa. Uh, another one of you guys down there, I've had a couple people on from South Africa that have had some amazing stories coming from you guys. Um, this guy right here, Mr. Graham Harding. What's up, Mr. Graham? How are you today? Hey, Quinny, all good, thank you. And your side of the world? Oh, my side of the world is fantastic. It's uh, it's actually morning. You and I are on the same sort of side of the world right now. This is kind of cool. Yeah, that's correct, eh? I don't have to totally manipulate my time schedule to make this one happen. It's like morning and morning. <laughs> that's it. Oh, I love it. Um, so, like you have been in search and rescue for 35 years. Um, wow. I thought I had been doing this for a long time. You, you've got me beat by 15 years, man. Come on. Yeah. All right, maybe yeah, not quite yeah. 15, but pretty close. <laughs> yeah, you know, Quinny, um, yeah, the 17th of, of November this year is my 35th anniversary, which is quite cool. Um, it started very long time ago, um, you know, when I witnessed um, a rescue in Port Alfred. I actually grew up inland, so I moved after my military service. I moved down to the coast, in a town called Port Alfred, and I, and I witnessed the boat going upside down in a river mouth. And suddenly this red boat was there and rescued the people, and they went whipping off. And that was it. I just had to go find who those people were, and I had to join them. And, and started. So that was where it all started off. That's awesome. All right. All right. Well, oh my gosh. Like seeing that and, and yeah, I get it. I get it. For me, it was watching a video of some dude jumping out of a helicopter. It was like, I, yes, that is what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <it's laughs> oh my God. 
was a mind-changing experience for me to see. You know, boats upside down, four people in the water, and I'm standing on the side of the river panicking, thinking I'm going to jump in and go rescue them. Being from inland would have just been stupid in the outgoing crowd. And the next minute, as I say, this boat swooped in and grabbed the people out the water and rushing off and was like, whoa, what just happened there? And luckily, there was a uh, was an old gentleman standing there, and I said, hey, uncle, who are those people? And he said, oh, those are sea rescue. And I said, where do I find them? And I went straight there. Oh, man, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Question, though. Let, let me back up a little bit. How did, all right, so where, you're from South Africa. Where in South Africa uh, are you from? And then you joined the military as well? Yeah, so I grew up in, in Johannesburg. Don't tell everybody. Okay, I won't say a word. Is that, oh, wait, yeah. is that Joburg? Is that what you call it? Joburg? Joburg, that's right. Joburg. Joburg. Johannesburg, yeah. The city of gold. Um, but, you know, every every April, my family used to take us down on a holiday to the coast. And, you know, from a small kid, I used to sit on the beach early in the mornings. I used to leave the caravan park before light. My parents never understood why. And I would actually go down to the beach to watch the sharks board um, guys working in the net. And I always told my parents I want to work on the scene. They just thought I was a stupid kid with a big imagination. So go figure. <laughs> there you go, Dad. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks, Dad. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I was I was uh, I was in the in the years of where conscription was still a thing in South Africa. Where when you were 16 years old, you were registered for two years military service. So um, yeah, after school, I, I went straight into the military. I served in the infantry for two years. Um, and once I got out of that, I decided that. It was the sea or nowhere, so I moved from Johannesburg to Port Alfred. And as I say, I, it started off there in Port Alfred, along with a diving career, scuba diving. And you know, then I moved to Neisner, one of the best places in the world. Uh, and uh, I had a sea school there that I taught people how to skip the boats and do all sorts of stuff like that. So yeah, then my, my life started sort of full time on the water. And my passion just grew. Oh, man, that's awesome. I love it. All right, so now the service you work for, N, uh, sorry, remind me again, NSIR, NI? NSRI, National Sea Rescue Institute. All right, so Kimmy G is going to be totally mad at me for not remembering that, just so you know that. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm careful with Kimmy, eh? Yeah, right? Uh, I love Kimmy, love Kimmy. Just <laughs> saying, just saying. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. All right, so you you've been working for them for a long time. How how did it get started? So you, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. So I assume between the time you started and now, there's been a lot of changes in training uh, and and whatnot to get qualified to go out and do it. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, for hundred percent accurate, Quinny. You know what I, I often say to the youngsters that we train now. You know, in my days when we joined, there's a couple of guys that sort of knew what they were doing on the ocean that jumped on a boat that didn't have any safety equipment on it and didn't have much in the line of PPE and we rushed out to sea and by the grace of somebody sort of saved a few people and managed to get back without killing ourselves. Um, <laughs> and as I said, the first rescue boat I served on had two engines, a seat, a home, a throttle, and that was it. There was no capsized bottles or flares or anything like that. We just went and did our thing. Um, and that's changed dramatically. Um, you know, the, there was no sort of training. You got to a station and a couple of the guys showed you a couple of things and then you, know, you were suddenly on a boat doing training and then you know, luckily one day you got to maybe be on the boat and go and do a rescue, but training wasn't really formal. So yeah, you're quite right. It's, it's done a 180-degree turn the other direction and it's really become so professional. 
And I mean, the guys were sent out there with the best boats, the best equipment we can get, and you know, with the best training that we can offer. Oh man, that's that's awesome. Oh, I love it. I love hearing that. Like, I mean, I love training anyway, but I, you know, I love the real rescue as well. So, you know, yeah, it's yeah. it's what we do. You train to go get the guys that are in the people in distress. All right. Yeah. So now, next question. Ready? Is you yeah. went through like very so you went down to the boat. They showed you a couple of things. You had a seat, a throttle, and two engines, right? That's correct. Okay. What was your very first rescue? What is, what is the first one you remember? So, so my first rescue was a very disappointing one. Um, so I'm going to call it my, my reserve first rescue. You know, I'd been at the station for about eight months, and I was just training and training and training. And, you know, there was there was one crew at the station. So when the, when the pages were, that was the old days when we had those black pages that made the old bee-bar, bee-bar that you used to wear on your belt that all the girls were uh, totally. really, really cool. I, you know what? So, you know what the greatest part about that is that I used to have to carry those when I was in Alaska. We had little pages too. <laughs> dee, 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 dee. Yeah, that's, <laughs> well, the girls used to love them. They were, they were like really cool. Um, uh, anyway, my pager went off and I got down to the station and I was third at the station. I had my wet, my hopper wetsuit on and I was actually on the boat. We were launching down the slipway and one of the most senior guys arrived and they said, you off, senior guy on. And the boat launched and there I was standing on the slipway. My heart was broken. Um, it was the upside down boats in the knives and the heads. And if you Google the knives and the heads, the second most dangerous exit is the open ocean in the world. So it's a really ferocious place. And I was so amped for it. And there the boat went. And yeah, you know what? I stayed at the base and I managed to help them when the boat came back, get the casualties, get them up, get them in the ambulance, all that kind of stuff. But it was really quite a heartbreaking experience. Um, oh, man. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... But, you know, that just drove me to, to really push and to try to become the crewman that when, when we had to go for a call, the coxswain would choose me on his boat. Um, so so the, it was actually three weeks later where we had another boat upside down in the heads and there was four casualties in the water. It was a really vicious day. And, and you know, I got on the boat and my heart, my heart was racing so fast and it wasn't adrenaline about going out to sea. I was dead scared somebody else was going to come running down those stairs and I'd be taken off the boat. But luckily, <laughs> the boat hit the water and the coxswain hits going astern and he pulled us off the cradle. And as he turned, heading out to the heads, it was like this internal almost celebration. Like, woohoo, I'm on, I'm going. And then we came around the corner and I watched this, this huge, these huge waves and suddenly a bit of panic hit me with that because I was like, oh, goodness gracious, look where you're going. Um, anyway, it was a very successful rescue. That one we managed to get all four of the casualties. They all survived. Um, so yeah, that was like uh, for me. It was like again, it was just a remarkable kind of yeah. You know what? This is what I want to do with my life. So it's really cool. Oh my gosh, dude! I love it. I love it. <laughs> all within. Yeah. Uh, let's see. You said eight months uh, to your first one, where you stayed on the docks. Ah, uh, and then three yeah. months later, back out saving yeah, no, four yeah. people. Then it, just went, then it just went from there, you know. I made sure that, you know what, they called me the rescue hunter because I never missed a call. I was there at every call. I was there at every training session. I was there at every work party. They just actually needed a stick to beat me to get me off the bus. There's just no way that was going to happen. <laughs> I love it. Man, that's awesome. Um, out of curiosity, like, what, did you, do you have another job? Because now when I talk to Kim, she was doing a volunteer to get down there, or is this your primary job? 
Are you are you paid? No, 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 no. So, so at the moment, it is now my primary job in my position as the national training manager, which I've taken over nationally. I train all the guys around the country. But while I was in uh, Nisner, you know, I, I owned my own business. So, you know, I had a glazing business. Um, a glazing business? Like glazing, glazing windows? Business. Yeah, that's it. Putting glass in houses. Hey, I actually know how to do that. My dad taught me. Oh, there you, right, go. there you go. There you go. Yeah. I don't know if I'm any good, but I know I know how. <laughs> yeah, so my my business... Uh, you know what? I'm I'm a like a little bit of a perfectionist, and my business did well, but it did suffer because of sea rescue. Because every time there was a button pushed, my guys were left to just do what they were doing on their own, and I was off on the sea. Um, but yeah, so you know, all of the all of the volunteers in South Africa have their own jobs. So you know, we we call out obviously now with WhatsApp and all sorts of things like that. There's call outs, and then they go off to the station and they go out to sea to rescue whoever they need to. Um, and yeah, they they work for their own businesses. I'm not wow. going to say suffers, but they give, they give their, their time because then it's also sort of the, the business is um, also helping with rescues. They're part of the rescue. So yeah, I did have my own job. Wow. Nice. The reason I ask that is because like you not only, you know, you mentioned going out to every rescue and, and you are the bizarre hunter, you know, you, you're going out, you're, you're giving your time, you're pulling yourself away from your business, your yeah. work to go volunteer to, to go save somebody. And that's awesome. I, I mean, I, it's, the, it's the passion in South Africa. That's what the South African serious volunteers are about. You know, so many of them run their own businesses, but they will give their own time up. You know, in the Nisner base, there's two doctors. There's a urologist and then a, just a normal doctor. And they get down to rescue schemes. Imagine their, their waiting rooms are full and, and a big rescue gets button gets pushed and all these doctors go and they go out to see. You know, so, I mean, obviously their patients have become very understanding. Um, and I don't think old Dr. Grant, who's the urologist, is going to be in the middle of a surgery and disappear. So sometimes we can't make it. But yeah, the, the, the enthusiasm and, and, and the dedication of our volunteers is like something like I actually get a tear in my eyes as I think about our volunteers. They're just the most brilliant people in the world. Wow. That's, uh, that's great. How many volunteers do you have? Do you know? We've got about 1,500 volunteers around the country at the moment. 1,500 across the country? Across the country, yeah. Holy yeah, we've got 52 smokes. stations. You know, we've got stations on the inland dam. We've got stations all the way around the country. Um, you know, there's another couple of, of sort of limbs to our business. We do the Pink Rescue Boys, which is a national, international thing now. A lot of the international guys are starting to use them. Um, then we've got a drowning prevention team that goes out into the previously disadvantaged areas and teaches people how to swim. We've converted containers into swimming pools. We take them to really remote areas and teach the young people how to swim and, and you know, just how to save themselves if they land in water. So, yeah, it's a big monster, this seriously business in South Africa. Oh, my gosh. You guys are on point. That's amazing. Holy yeah. cow. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, let me let me get back into some rescue stuff for, for a minute. So you and I are going to talk about three different rescues that you had that really stood out to you. Um, again, you and I talked about it a little bit offline. You know, like we all have rescues and, and rescues can be simple as a medevac or, you know, just something that that's, you know, it's that, oh, out and back and it doesn't even really leave an impact and or a mark or it's that it's, it's just not, it's a normal routine thing, like just like training. At the same time, yeah. we have a handful of rescues, um, 
if you've been doing this long enough that really stand out to you and you're like, wow, that was something else. So you've got three of them off the top of your head and I would yeah, love yeah. to hear about them. Yeah, so, you know, the first one for me, uh, I sort of been a crewman for about a year and a half and, and Pedro went off, which obviously a lot of adrenaline because you jump in your car. At that stage, I had a beach buggy that was in the middle of winter, so it was a freezing drive down to the base. Um, you know, the adrenaline's going and you get to the base to find out what's happening. And the story was there was uh, there's a beach about three nautical miles from out of the Niles Heads. And a woman had phoned in from a local caravan park to say that she'd seen a bus pull up with a whole lot of children and they were playing in the ways that she sees the bus but not the children anymore. And, you know, at that stage, our station commander was, we just felt something was something was odd. So we launched the boat. We went through the heads. The heads was raging that day. It took us about 25 minutes just to clear through the heads. Um, and we went off out to sea. And the story was it was a... Afrikaans priest, which we call it Germany in South Africa, and he was swimming with these children. There were 13 children and the priest, and they had one bodyboard, boogie board kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, we found them two kilometers out to sea. All of these children hanging onto the one board with the priest. So, you know, when as we pulled up alongside, I leaned over, and the first, uh, first person I grabbed was a seven-year-old girl, and you know, I often say to people, have you seen somebody soul? Because I have. You know, as I looked over to the boat, her eyes locked onto mine, and I, I swear I could see this young lady's soul. And I pulled her onto the boat, and, and it actually, it almost ruined the rest of the rescue for me because I couldn't pick up anybody else out of the water because once she got on the boat and got her arms around my neck, there's no way she was letting me go. So I had this human being permanently attached to me for the whole of rescue while we were getting the others out of the water. Um, you know, and then to take all of those kids back to their to their families, and um, you know what? For years afterwards, we used to get letters from these young kids, you know, just saying what they're doing, how life is treating them, and you know what? So that was a real special one. And and again, I've always said to everybody, the hard times, you know, sometimes in rescue there's really hard times, and right. sometimes you know you think it's time for me to hang this up, and then I close my eyes and I see that little face, and you know what? I'm going to do this until the day my eyes close forever because I will always see that little face. And you know, that's it's just that was a super unforgettable one for me. It was really, really special. Oh my gosh, dude, I love that man. Yeah, Hi, you had 13 kids in the water and one, yeah, and yeah. a priest on one boogie board. That's it. Two nautical miles. Yeah, there was a rip current that pulled them out to sea and then it dragged them out to sea. So yeah, so it was very lucky that we found them. Obviously, in that part of the world, the water was about 15 degrees, so it's not the warmest of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was lucky. But you know what? Um, training, it's not all luck because training does put a lot of, of we make our own luck, if I can put it that way. Um, but yeah, it, it was really special. Because, uh, yeah, as I said, I'll, I'll never stop this job because of that. I did make the mistake of the next day, the next meeting, you know, I, I got there and, and we trained and afterwards the guys always have a fry or a barbecue, what we call it, and have a couple of years. And that night I slammed my fist on the counter and I said, I'm going to the station commander of the station. And as a very young crewman, that wasn't taken very well from a couple of the senior guys. <laughs> like, after witnessing that, there was, you know, that was just, I was driven, absolutely driven. Oh, brother, that is awesome. I like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I did become the station commander, by the way. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's a, oh, I love it. It's very heartwarming and a good finish. All right, my friends, keep us going. Yeah, so then the second the second good one was, so we had this boat called the Alex Blakey, which is uh, an Arthur Levy hull, which was built and designed in Nisner at a boat yard specifically for the Nisner heads because they're so dangerous. Um, in fact, um, it was a legendary boat. Um, the only problem was in the following sea, it, it did some really scary things, like you could lie down and this you knew what you would do. And uh, in, the, in the whole career of the boat that was 34 years in service, there were only 13 crossings that ever qualified on it. And, you know, I, I'm very grateful. I was the 13th crossing. I was the last crossing to qualify on that boat. Um, wow. Well done. Yeah, it was. Yeah, was, uh, yeah no, I'll tell you what, that boat gave me more gray hairs than you <laughs> 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 talk about. But, um, yeah, you know, I think we, we as a crew, we trusted her completely. We would go out in any seas. Um, you know, once or twice we did think we weren't going to get back, but the boat always got us back. But the one, again, the pages went off, it was also a gnarly August, which is really gnarly weather in, in the Cape. And the pages went off and we went rushing down to the base and we jumped on. And the report was that a fishing boat coming back from sea that was obviously overladen with fish had been smashed by a wave from the back and had been flipped upside down again in the Nisman head. It was about uh, 20 past five in the evening. So being winter, the darkness is coming. Um, we launched the, the Alex Blakey uh, with four of us crew on board. Um, and she was sort of eight people to 10 people, sort of the max, you know, that you could put on her. Um, anyway, we, we ventured out through the heads again. We got smashed by, by, by some huge waves. Um, but that day, the coxswain of the boat, I mean, really, really on point. And he got us out there. And the light was like really, really fading. And I don't know, we, it was just something that sort of caught the corner of my eye. And, and, I, and I sort of said to the coxswain, I think they're there on our fourth side. And as he turned the boat, lo and behold, these 10 guys were sort of in the water. And then a little bit further away, there was just the nose of the boat sticking out, just the bow, the, the like, say the, the, the third of the bow sticking out. And there were three guys holding onto the bow of the boat. So, you know, we sort of maneuvered as close as we could because by this time they were getting into the back line, which would have smashed them up on the rocks on the east heads, and there would have been a certain death. And um, we managed to get the 10 guys on board. And then we sort of put the bow of our boat like really close to these three guys. And, and as they let go, it was actually incredible. As they let go, I sort of turned to make a little swim towards us. The Hakahana, which was the boat that it flipped, just went straight down. It sort of, it was almost like that boat had waited for us to get right there. And then as soon as they let go, the boat sort of went blah, 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 and was under the sea. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the long and short of it is we, we loaded the other three guys on. So now we were slightly overloaded. And then we went back to the heads, and the heads was like really, really raging. Yeah, the heads is the place because the water's funneled in. Um, when it's really, really big, the waves come in at about 28 knots. So 28 knots. That's knots. how fast that's the, the current's coming in that's, and the waves. That's what the that's what the wave is coming in on the next time. So oh wow. Yeah. All right. So really for everybody, for everybody that doesn't understand that, like the well, I'll say uh, like an average boat. If you go full throttle uh, on like an average fishing boat stuff, you're only doing probably what uh, 12 knots, maybe. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, that's so you're talking 20. Uh, would you say 24 knots 20, coming in? 28 knots. 28, 28 knots. knots. 
you're going backwards yeah. even at full throttle. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, that's ripping. It, remember it's tidal, so sometimes the tide is coming out there at about four or five knots. So if you're going forward at eight knots, you're actually only doing four knots going ahead. So that's oh what happened gosh. to the Hakahana. It was coming in in a wave, caught it from the back, and just flipped it over. So anyway, we, we got there and um, you know, we, we were lucky. We had two big 200, well, 200 two-stroke outboard engines on the back of the Alex Blakey and um, sort of 30 knots was our top speed when we were like six up. Um, so what we decided to do is because we realized we weren't going to get inside um, just getting to the to our safe entry point and going. So we actually turned and we went about a nautical mile out to sea. And then we got onto the radio and, and, and we said to the guys, um, make sure the small boat is launched and is ready in the heads in case we have trouble coming in. And uh, our clocks on the desk day said, okay, boys, hold on. And then a nautical mile out to sea, he floored the thing. And we basically just tried to get as much momentum as we could. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> get gosh. <laughs> And at this stage, it was pitch dark. Um, and I was ahead of the scary place in the dark. Um, but anyway, he, he aimed the boat on the middle of us. Um, and, you know, as I say, we got it up to as fast as we could get her going. And the instructions to everybody was just hold the hell on. And that's exactly <laughs> what we did. Um, and, yeah, we, we managed to get in and through. Um, it was close at one stage where a wave was sort of chewing. The, the frothy wave was chewing at the outboard engines. Um, but we managed to get through, and uh, all 13 of, of, of the people were saved, and, you know, from certain death. And yeah, again, so it's just a super special one. And the crew that were on the boat with me that day, um, the brotherhood that you form with people like that, that can never ever be taken out. Doesn't matter what happens. But yeah, that was the second most epic one for me. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. the, like, I, you know, just the start of it, watching the boat sink as you're like pulling up and getting the last three guys to then having to like work your way to get back in. Oh, dude. Yeah. What? Yeah, really, really epic. Yeah. All right. Well done. Well done to yeah. you and your crew. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I often say to the guys that one day I might write a book because I'm sure I can tell you some exciting stories. Um, yeah, look, then we can move on to the third one. So Let's go. One third one for me was um, I'd just been voted in the station commander by my crew. So, yeah, young Oka Ski Rescue, and you know, I thought I knew it all. And, uh, it was actually my first phone call. Uh, it was probably 12 in the afternoon, and this very polite lady uh, sort of answered the phone, Ski Rescue Neisner, and help is an emergency. He was like, hi, uh, my name is Belinda, and I don't know if this is really too much of a problem, but my husband went out fishing this morning on his boat, and he promised me he'd be back at uh, half past 11. It's now quarter to 12, and I'm standing at the top of the heads, and I don't see a sign of any boating. And you know what? I, there, there's just some of the times, you know, later as a station commander, I realized that I had it happened a few more times. But this, this time, as soon as she said that, the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. And without actually even asking a question, I knew there was a problem. Um, so, you know, I, I asked her a few questions, and then I organized to meet her. Um, and we met her on the top of the heads, and she basically told me that he'd gone out fishing on his own early in the morning, and he's very timeless normally, very punctual, so she's a little bit worried. We tried to call him on the radio, we tried to call his mobile, there was no answer. So I immediately launched our boats. Um, so real quick, I, I love the fact that he was 15 minutes late, 
and she made a phone call to you. Yeah, I'm going to throw it. that out there real quick. <laughs> Let's think about this for a second. A lovely wife has called 50 minutes. All right, so for all us husbands that are late to dinner or late to whatever, give us another like five minutes. But 50 minutes yeah. late, she's already calling you. That's awesome. No, 100%. <laughs> and I mean, that, that, that call saved his life. Um, oh, you know, man. It's like, it's like really, really, yeah, it, it's, it's special. It's, um, you know, so, I mean, the ocean's a big place, as you know. Um, oh, yeah. So where do you start? Where do you start? So a couple of my questions. So we've got this radio shack that's right on the top of the heads that's got like, some charts and that we can see the boats going in and out. So I was sort of up there and I decided that I wasn't going to send Belinda. She was there with her mom and two of her kids. And I wasn't going to send Belinda home because you know, that's normally what you try to do is get the family away. I actually brought her into the little control room and I, I, I included her in, in what I was doing on the, on the chart how we were going to construct search patterns and where we were going to go look and, you know, but I had to get questions from her. So I, I had to say to her, okay, so he's on his own. Yes, he's on his own. Um, does he go fishing with other friends in Marsman? She said, yes, he does. I said, well, get their numbers, phone them and find out from them where his favorite fishing spot was. Uh, you know the story, you find three friends and all three of them give you a different spot. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, so then suddenly, and all three spots are like yeah, 15 like or 30 miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a 30-minute so, drive so, to each um, one. Yeah, I know for sure. So, you know, suddenly it struck me. I said to him, hey, but didn't he promise you dinner? And she said, yeah, oh, he promised me he's going to bring us fish. So I said, well, that's cool. What did he promise you he's going to bring you? So she said, no, he said he's going to catch yellowtail. And it was like, ah, oh, yellowtail, Dalgleish Bank. That's where the yellowtail are running. So <laughs> I immediately was like, okay, guys, we're going to focus our search. We're going to go to Del Beach Bank. We're going to focus our search there. And we are going to um, start our patterns. Anyway, I, I sent the two bigger boats out there. And then we've got a small 4.2 meter little little inflatable boat with a single 50 horsepower pillar arm on it. And I sent them to do some shoreline stuff. And I contacted Plettenberg Bay, which is my flanking station on the one side. And I asked them to come up and search sort of certain areas and the bottom line is we searched yeah really um we searched for five hours and um wow. the two big the, yeah the sea had turned the sea was really really grumpy and you know the, the two big boats had said you know they have to return back to base it's getting dark there's no ways we're going to find you know, anybody out there at the moment um and you know then my small boat they 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 had got hold of me and they said that time, you know what, we need to come back. It's too big for us. And I just said to them, guys, please, I know, I know you guys are like been long and whatever, but please can you just go search this last area? The probability of it being there is not very good. So please just go search that area. Just so that we can say we've searched it and I can tell the family I've covered that area. And about 15 minutes later, <laughs> it's a very funny story. I'll, I'll I'll add on to the story, but a very 15 minutes later they got on the radio and they said, Hey, we've got him. And uh, that was the most <laughs> elation, elation was like, I was in the radio room. Um, so I'll tell you the story of how it happened. So Wayne went out fishing on his own. Um, you know, a lot of people say that's wrong. He did a couple of things that were really stupid, yes. But, um, you know, people sail around the ocean single-handed. Look at the South African that's just winning this race around the whole world. Like Kirsten, like yeah. she's kicking butt and she's out there on her own. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't always condemn guys that go out on their own as long as they have safety protocols in place. Um, 
But anyway, Wayne was fishing and caught one or two fish. So what happened is a little bit of a westward buster came through. Um, the Dells Leash Bank is 11 nautical miles straight south of the Marsman Head. Um, so it started getting really, really rough. So Wayne decided, okay, hang on, he's going to pack up and come home. And this was about half past 10. Um, so he would have actually been early and surprised his wife that, uh, as it happened. Fortune happened. <laughs> Um, he would have been early. Sort of... I just throw that out there for all the wives, the wives out there. He would have been, been early. He yeah. would have been early. <laughs> yeah. And he had three fish for his wife for dinner. Oh, see, yeah. even better. <laughs> yeah, so what happened is he started making his way back in this little 14-foot catamaran uh, e-boat that he was on. Um, and he had one of those poles at the back which you drop your transducer down on. And he'd forgotten to lift it before he, he pulled off. So he said it was sort of dragging in the water. So he then sort of came into neutral. And when he turned around, the, the, the sea was just too big and he was like, he didn't feel comfortable. So he, he was like, he decided, no, just to go. And, and he was doing about 2,000 RPM and sort of heading to, back toward the heads. And he suddenly thought, well, while the boat's going, this is, it's really quite smooth. So he, I'll just turn around quickly and adjust the pole up to get the transducer out the water. And as he grabbed the pole, the wave hit the bar of the boat, chucked him out between the motors. Now his big error was he didn't have a kill switch on. So he tells the story of it threw him out, came up in that aerated water, and as his head came out, and the boat just carried on going because it's got a hydraulic steering and it's a 2,000 RPM, and the boat just carried on going. He says his exact thought to me said was, "Oh crap!" You know, he was still about nine nautical miles away from the heads. Um, the water was 14 degrees that day. Um, he just knew he was in serious trouble. Um, obviously, the boat carried on until it, it disappeared and, and he couldn't see it anymore. Um, and the story with that is that it actually, the, the, the swell pushed it out and it landed sort of seven nautical miles on the rocks um, from Plettenberg Bay. So if we found the boat that day, we would have never found it because we would have looked for him there. Um, but then, you know, Wayne was a very fit guy, luckily, and he decided he was going to swim. Uh, and he managed sort of for four and a half hours to keep his head above water. He did some really clever things. He, he, uh, he had a, a windproof jacket on. Okay. So what he did is he decided he took the windproof jacket off and he tied knots in the sleeves and he caught air in it so it made like a, a big bubble and he hung on to that because he didn't have a life jacket on. He had wow. Short pants on and that's it. Oh, that's so, pretty smart uh, thinking actually. He said he did that but then what happened he said he noticed as soon as his bare back was open then the seagulls would gather around him and fly above him. So then he was starting to worry about the seagulls up there, what's underneath me? So he eventually gave that up as a bad habit and then he put the jacket back on. And then it was like a camera jacket. Then he said the seagulls went away. So he would do that every now and again just to rest. But he said he swam on his back and then the swell would come and smash over him. And you know, he, he basically he was aiming for the heads. But um, yeah, he was actually going up to what we call a place called Brenton on the Sea, which is a really vicious place with a whole big cliff face. So again, it would be a death. You know, Wayne tells a story afterwards of where, you know, he cried. He, he prayed for the sea rescue boats to come and fetch him. Um, and he said, you know what, he, he at one stage, he, he just gave up. He knew that was it. He couldn't anymore. Um, he had he swallowed so much salt water, it was actually passing straight through him. Um, and Ugh. his face was Face was burnt. His eyes, you can imagine, five hours in the salt water. His eyes were, uh, they just were these big, hollow, red, swollen kind of uh, when you find him. Anyway, um, 
Wayne had um, he's sort of given up and he tells the story of the, his head had sunken under the water and as he got under the water he sort of took a bit of a breath and he got into a bit of a panic and fought his way to the top and, and he tried for a little bit more and he said but then he just couldn't anymore and and he said he said you know he said to us he said grandma was like in movies he said I actually slipped under the water he said I wasn't panicking anymore there was no fear um, you know I just knew it was done I knew it was over and says he got about three or four meters he reckons under the water and he had a little daughter at that stage and he said to me that he heard his daughter's voice calling him and and, and he just slowly tried to swim and as his head popped out of the water he had this little boat and the little boat then it called me and said hey we found him and my reaction was make sure it's Wayne do not it's not some random swim out there so the joke was my boat pulled up alongside him and said hey are you Wayne and the guy said, I'll be whoever you want me to be. Just put me on your boat. <laughs> uh, and and the, guy, the, guys, the guys pulled him out. At that stage, I walked out. And, and I mean, after five hours, you know, I think Belinda and her mom had basically given up. And I walked out and, and Belinda stood up. And I'll never forget, she just was, she was, me walking out, obviously, she was waiting for bad news. I mean, we had been speaking about, you know, when it gets dark, we're going to have to call it off. Um, she stood up and she was like so beside herself. And I said, hey, V, don't worry. We've got him. He's alive. And I mean, you know what? She, she collapsed in heat. Now, I don't know if she collapsed because of the possibility of not collecting life insurance or the fact that we saved him. But I don't know. <laughs> she was absolutely ecstatic. Um, you know, then the, that stage, we'd, we'd got the bigger boats alongside the small boat. We'd managed to put him in the big boat, got some blankets made on him and, you know, um, sort of secured him in the big boat. And, and while they were coming back in, I picked B up in the, in the mobile and we rushed down to the base. So when we got there, the ambulances were waiting. We loaded him on, got him on oxygen, got him sorted out and all that stuff, put him in the ambulance. And yeah, we got him off to hospital. He spent uh, five days in, in ICU. Obviously, he had pneumonia from water in his lungs and all that kind of stuff. But you know, he survived it. And again, he had two daughters and a, and a lovely wife. And, you know, getting him back to his family. It was my first rescue as a station commander. So uh, for me, it was like, whoa, hang on, this is an easy job. Come on, Oates. Um, no, 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 I, I, switched, I, I switched with bullets. And, you know, but just to see again that the training, the way we've done our training, the way we, we, we've done our search patterns and the way the crew pulled together and, you know, we were out there for a long time and, and they were just tenacious. They didn't want to give up. And it was, it was something that a lot of guys said to me, you know, some people have a sixth sense, and and what had actually happened is, you know, when 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 you first get told it's a guy from the boat, you're looking for a boat. Right. But an hour into the search, early in the day, I had got on the radio and I said, "Hey guys, I don't know. There's a strange feeling I've got, but we're looking for a person in the water. We're not looking for a boat. I'm telling you, the boat's gone." And yeah. and still, my coxswain on my big boat came back and he said, "Step on. We're never going to find just the person in this." And I said, "Guys, we're going to look." And they said, "Yeah, but how do you know the boat's gone?" And I said, "It's just the feeling that I have." And was Bob the boat was gone, but we found him. You know, he got back to his family, and you know what? So, yeah, that was again a really special one to think about. And um, there's a little video we did, you know, interviewing Wayne afterwards, and that he pulled that needle in the haystack. Yeah, you think? Holy shit. But it gives credence to, you know, a lot of I, I get, I'm very lucky I've traveled around the world to rescue organizations, and a lot of them. Like you're trained on on search patterns and all this kind of stuff, and nobody really has belief in it. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody say, guys, stick to your search patterns, learn your search patterns because they work. You find people. 
So, you know, there was like a three D the training that we did as well. Yeah, so that was the three in a nutshell. I could carry on the whole day with you about 20 years ago. Oh my gosh. That was three of my You know what? I, I almost want you to keep going. I just <laughs> <laughs> But I, I know I know you can't because I I know you you're uh, you've got some training that you have to give later on today. So um I'll tell you what, Graham. Let's let's do this. Let me let me first of all, well done to you and the other crews that went out to search for that guy. I mean I, I love the fact that 15 minutes late and his wife was calling. And for the record, yeah. he was going to be early, just for the record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see what yeah, so happened I, I, was. <laughs> I, think, I think after that rescue, he could never complain if she tried to check up on him again. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. shoot. That means I can't ever <laughs> complain when my wife is checking up on me. <laughs> Graham, I don't know what you could say, but me, I'm like, oh, dude, my wife is calling. All right, all right. <laughs> Uh, answer the call answer the call yeah that's right awesome um so you uh you know one of the things that you guys in south africa have been doing and we talked about this a little bit in the beginning is like all the training and equipment that has changed in between when you started to now i mean 35 years of doing this is a long time and you've yeah. seen some amazing changes what are some of the lessons you have learned inside all of that time you know, Quinny, I think the, the biggest lesson I've learned is, is resistance to change. Um, you know, a lot of the older guys that have been around for a long time, they don't like change because you have to learn new things. You have to right. learn new skills. You have to learn new equipment. And very often the older guys bulk or fight against change and equipment change and that. And, and I, you know, I've learned the lesson is to embrace it. To, yeah, you've got you to put some effort into it and you've got to learn new skills and do certain things. But I, I think that's the answer for, for search and rescue and for rescue, for plane rescue, is that it's, it's forever evolving and there's forever people inventing new things and new ways of doing things. And if you don't keep up, you're going to be left behind. And I yeah. think that's one of the biggest changes is we've got the more senior guys to buy into change in our institute. So um, nice. change is accepted and change is actually challenged and we look for change. So we look for, you know, I don't, I don't claim intellectual rights for anything that we've invented here. And then we look the same overseas. You know, if we go to the RNLI, which is an epic organization, or, you know, when I was with Swedish Sea Rescue, and that, there's things that I see that I think, oh, hang on, why haven't we been doing it like that? That's so brilliant. So, you know, then I bring that back home, and, and the guys are like, oh, this is so cool. And nobody really fights it. So, yeah, so, so change has been phenomenal, like you say, the equipment. I mean, you know, when we first started going to see, there was no such thing called GPS. There's no such thing called what? A GPS. Oh, a GPS, there was no, yeah. There, there was no yeah. GPS back then. You know, so we used to use landmarks and all sorts of crazy things like that when we were going out to see. Um, so, yeah, the changes have been phenomenal. And, and the things that we can do now, it's there. But if you don't keep abreast of it, like like I said, you're going to be lost. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I really think that that's resistance to change is the biggest lesson we learn out of it. Just don't do it. Yeah. Oh, I, man, I'm on board with that one. You know, it's actually kind of funny. There are a couple of things that, like, in my 20, holy cow, I've been doing this for 23 years. My 23 years in this job, there are some things that I have learned, like, to now that I'm like, that. it's so different than when I started to now. It's It's a hard like it's a hard no. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not going backwards. I've moved yeah. forward. I'm not going backwards. And that's, yeah, yeah. you know, either gear, equipment, or technique. I'm like, it's no, for sure. yeah. 
Yeah. You know, just a little, just a little example. You know, with, with, um, between Seriescue, NSRI, and uh, company Dreamers Yamaha, we designed a little rescue boat. It's a jet ski that we put a pontoon around. Um, oh, sure. We put a, we put a, we put a stick. We put a, a, a solid hull. We added a bit of hull to it, and you know, it was something we designed for the surf because we have big surf obviously in South Africa. And I think the first one after I tested the prototypes and that, and we'd given a thumbs up. And the first one we sort of took around the country. Everybody, when we arrived with this thing on the trailer, it looks like an ugly duckling on a trailer. It really does. And everybody at every station was like, oh, what is this piece of rubbish? But I promise you what, the first time I took the guys into the surf, they were all like, no, 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 leave this thing here. We want this thing. <laughs> and I mean, you know, two and a half years, we've rolled 32 out around the country. Um, and they're just the most phenomenal thing. But I think if everybody just looked at that in the beginning, would have said, like, no, hang on, this is cool. Um, it's not a cool thing, but, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So, yeah, don't resist that change. And, and we've, got to, we've got to keep adapting. We, 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 we won an international, the IMRF uh, award that year for that, by the way, is the most innovative change in surf rescue. So, that's quite a Hey, nice well done. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I like that. All right. So let me keep going with this because uh, with the training that you guys have in, what are you doing now that is uh, like, you're, you're one of the lead trainers. And, and like I said, I, I mean, you, you have a training you're given later on. As a matter of fact, as soon as we're done here, you're going to start training some, some new guys or, or just even updated training. But what are yeah, you guys yeah. doing now for training? So, you know, we, we run an e-learning system for all of our theoretical stuff. So our crews have got access to our e-learning system. Um, and it covers everything from uh, electronic navigation systems, maritime emergency care. We do maritime extrication. We've got to do the uh, medivacs or ships and that kind of stuff. Um, the practical training, surf launch training. We do all the coxswain certification through the institute. And yeah, so me and my team are very busy. You know, there's, there's only myself and I've got six uh, youngsters working for me. Um, with a thousand five hundred uh, voluntary crews, so you know, again, it's a fun thing. Um, you know, if there was more money, we could have more trainers. But we do with what we for what we've got. Um, my team are very busy. We we travel around the country. In fact, on Friday, I drive from Cape Town to Durban, which is a thousand six hundred kilometers. I'm wow. then training guys up there for a week. The other half of my team drive from. Cape Town to the Val Dam, which is 1,400 kilometers, and they're training all the inland stations for the weekend. So we do a lot of hands-on training. Um, and then we've, we've got a simulator here in Cape Town. We've got a navigation simulator, which we do radar training with the guys. Um, so, yeah, no, we, we, we encompass everything. Um, I mean, I can't wait for you to visit us. We can bring you and show you our maritime extrication platforms and our simulator for the electronic navigation systems. And, yeah, any, every ambit of rescue, this training team in Cape Town does. We just get out there and do it. I mean, the guys are so passionate. I love the young kids. They're like, they're like you know, I have what I say. I've got six kids underneath me. Yeah? Um, not that they all youngsters, <laughs> but yeah, like I'm the grumpy old dad. Yeah. <laughs> they're just a phenomenal bunch of guys. That's so, yeah, we, we do everything. We everything that we can. In fact, some of the stuff that we can't do, we also try to. All right, so I have to ask: Is Jared? Uh, is Jared one of those kids? Is Jared one of those guys? Yeah, so Jared's not in my training team here in Cape Town. Jared belongs to Durban Station, so he's one of the new youngsters. And you know, around the country, there's four or five, but Jared, at the moment, is the closest to. You know, when you go somewhere and you meet a youngster for the first time, and you you you're presenting stuff, and 
my goodness, you're sitting in the back of the Korak. Where's the young dude? That's exactly what happened. Uh, I mean, my first interaction with Jared, I was like, holy hell, this is the kind of oak I want. And, and, and he's wonderful. Yeah, Jared, uh, we, my nickname for him affectionately is Jumping Jack because he never sits still and he bounces from one place to the other. He's got so much energy. You know, he's like the sponge. Whatever you try to teach him, he just takes it in. He questions stuff, um, you know, like, but, but uh, I'm not going to say like analytically, and he, and he needs to understand when you shave something, he's got to understand why are we doing it like that? No, he's brilliant. You know, I love Jared. There's a lot of youngsters around the country that are good, but Jared's one of the special ones. And he's going to go far. You know, I foresee that he's going to end up being a station commander and he's going to, he's going to do a phenomenal job. He's, he's really one of the top class youngsters. Yeah. Love it. So Jared Garber is his name. And it, like, actually, I'm going to shout out to him as well because he's the reason that you and I connected. He He's reached out and he's like, man, I got a guy that you've got to hear some stories from. And it was you. Conveniently enough, as you being the instructor and him being one of your students, I actually have him coming on here next. So uh, for everybody cool. that's like listening, like, hey, we're right now we've got the teacher and then we got the student coming up next. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So in that case, let me ask this. Ready? So you have been you've been doing this for a long time. You've been instructed for a long time. Uh, gear and equipment, and then challenges you're facing. Like, what are some of the things that you're seeing uh, that is that is so super difficult for you guys down there? Yeah, so so obviously fundraising is a big thing for us. You know, we're not government supported. We we don't have a coast guard here, so we are the coast guard. We do all of that kind of stuff. Most other countries have got a coast guard, which sort of handles the bulk of stuff. Um, you know, there is no such entity in South Africa. We get out there and do it. Uh, we rely on the general public for. The funds, so we have a call center, uh, 80 people here in the office. That all they do is phone people every day and try and get 25 rand donations or whatever per month. Um, so that's a big challenge for us. So, all of our equipment, when we have to replace boats, you know, we're currently replacing our class one fleet with a with an orc boat, with a big 14 meter boat. That's 20 million rand for per boat. And oh, we're wow. currently on hole number six, which is actually going to be launched on Monday next week. And then in June, sometime I'll be delivering it from Cape Town to Richards Bay, which is a thousand nautical mile trip, which is going to be really exciting. And we'll have to get some video footage and send it to you. So we can oh, you please do. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. going to be quite, a, quite an epic delivery. But yeah, so the problem for us is that, you know, if we go to the RNLI or like I say, the Swedish or the Dutch or any of those guys, the money is not really a problem for them. So they've got really cool boats and they've got really cool equipment. And very often for us, we, we've got to count our rands and cents. You know, so we, what, what our sort of thing is we want to send our crew out with the best equipment and PPE, so that takes the lion's share of the money. The first thing is we've got to make sure the boats are 100% and safe and we're sending them out with the best, the wetsuits they wear and the, the big boats uh, they're wearing, their jumpsuits and their, their helmets and all that kind of stuff. Um, so then... A little bit that's left over can be gobbled up for training. Now, as you know, training is a big machine and, and it can yeah. eat a lot of money. Um, training you know, is expensive. There's no doubt about uh, that. Expensive. You know, we, we do little things. So, uh, I mean, so maybe some people can get and donate some money to us, which is quite cool. But, um, you know, so the training team, for instance, when we travel around the country, we don't stay in bed and breakfast or hotels or anything like that. And we gather all the stations from the areas in, at one station. 
Um, so like, you know, let's just say Port Elizabeth, we gather like eight stations from around. Everybody arrives with a sleeping bag and their sweaters and we sleep in the station on the floor in the base. Um, oh my gosh! Can, We're uh, camping! Uh, awesome! Uh, no, you know, it's actually a lot of people say, oh, your age, you shouldn't just put it on the floor. But I'm saying, hey guys, firstly, there's a, there's a whole team spirit thing that happens. Everybody's in the same boat. We're all sleeping on the floor. Some guys snore. Some guys can hide in places like <laughs> storerooms to get away from that. Um, it, it's just a camaraderie that, that is built. That's very good in a certain way. But, you know, those are, are like some of the things that are hard. And, and sometimes you've got, to, you've got to temper our training a little bit because the funds aren't there. But, um, you know, we, we'll never give up. And we have huge support from our CEO and from our directors. Um, they're loving what the training team is doing and, and the results we're getting. And the stations are very demanding of our time. So that's the biggest thing. You know, we've got to sometimes try and split ourselves in six because every station wants a piece of the training guide. Because um, yeah. it's exciting when we go there and we train that. So that, that is a challenge. Um, yeah, and then, you know, so for us, failing things like, um, you know, in, in our country, unfortunately, like cell phone technology and, you know, so communications is a huge issue for us. So we're currently trying to trying to work on a couple of different systems. We, we, we've been testing the bivy stick and we've been testing some of the Garmin in-reach devices because some of our big boats, once they get sort of 20 nautical miles offshore, there's no more communication. So wow. you know, we, we're testing all sorts of different things and so communication is a big thing for us that we're looking um, at, at trying to sort out. Um, but yeah, you know, with all the challenges we have, 20 is like I say, you know, I think there's another risk organization, I won't mention their name, but they've got like, I think, 15 guys in their innovation department. And uh, we've got none. We don't have an innovation department. <laughs> yet. We, won, we won the IMRF award three times. We won it for the Pink Boys, uh, Pink Rescue Boys. We won it for the Jet Group, And we've now won it for our container swimming pools. And then we came second one year with a floating stretcher that one of our stations designed. So, you know, I think because of the hard times and all of that, a lot of our guys, we just get buckled down and we invent these new things and, then, and it's done on a ground level. So in a roundabout way, I think it's a good thing because, I mean, that other that other organization has never won it with all of the innovative people that they pay big money for. Um, so, yeah, sometimes bad things are good things. We try to keep, yeah. keep, keep, keep the coin on the shiny side. So yeah. Yeah, there are challenges, but, but I think with our challenge, life would be boring, so we love the challenges. Everything, everything is good, what I'm trying to basically say. You know, I think a lot of that comes from just the fact that there's, there's such passion into the rescue. And, you know, like when you, I mean, you're volunteering your time. And then when you get something like your cases that you've had and your rescues that you've had, you, it's that, man, I, I could do this better. We, we could use this. What if we did something like this to make this better? That, that's yeah, where yeah. it all, ah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and and that's a gain where, that's where gain the youngsters like Jared come in. Yeah. Because often my phone will ring and I'll see Jared Garvin and I'll think, oh, what now? And it's like, <laughs> you know, I'll answer the phone and I'll say, yeah, Mr. Jared. He's ah, Mr. G. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, Jared, just slow down. And, and he's got this fountain of ideas. He's just, I promise you what, he he, he listens too much to your rescue radio, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so, and then oh, he's yeah. like, oh, I heard, I heard Quinny on this. I heard this. And we must do this this way. And we must do that that way. So, and that's really cool because, you know, a lot of those things, yes, that we do say, hey, well, let's have a look at that. My answer sometimes, hey, Jared, cool. Next training session, go out and try it and report back to me. Come back to me and tell me what it's all about. So, yeah, it's it, <laughs> good luck at it. It's really on point. 
You know, I it's something that I have really enjoyed about this podcast. This is a lot of things that I've learned uh, from different people that are doing this around the world. It's amazing what agencies and people are doing. It blows my mind every time. I'm just like, you know, I, it, it, and it's funny because I talk about this too. Like everybody has the exact same scenario. Like it, work with me here for this. We're on call and there's somebody in distress we leave where we're at, we go get them, and then we come, or we, we try to get them, and then we get home. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, there's like a thousand different ways to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we often say there's so many fun. ways to skin the cat. Yeah, yes, there are. Why would you skin a cat? I mean, really? Well, that, that's the same. So it's the English thing. <laughs> I don't know where saying. they got it from. Speak to the pops. They got that. I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Right on. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I know you got training coming up. So if you don't mind, leave us with one last thing. If you could just pass on some knowledge to everybody else that's doing this, the guys that are coming up behind you, what would you tell them? So Quinny, the thing for me is is the biggest thing that that for me that I would like to pass on to anybody coming up. This game that that we in um it has a lot of highs, but it has an immense amount of lows. Um, you know, very sadly we deal with a lot of body recoveries and some, some gnarly stuff that, that we're not like really built as human beings to see. Um, so for me, looking after your, your health, your mental health, uh, and looking after your crew, especially the new young crew, and that is really good. So often I found within organizations, they have really epic training programs for teaching guys how to swim and go out to sea and rescue people and tow yachts and up, up, you know, upturn uh, capsized boats and do all of these really cool things. But there is the other side of the coin. And, and a lot of times people are severely um, impacted by what we, what we witness and the loss of life. And, and yeah, so I'm very passionate about that. You know, there is a, if you go to the IMRF site, you'll see there's a, there's a, what they call SAR UOK, because of search and rescue. So there's a couple of also podcasts and a couple of interviews and videos that people around the world have done. I'm very, very, very um, honored to be part of that. And, you know, we also head that up here. We, we look after the well-being, the mental well-being of our crew. Like, it's really important to us. So that's a big lesson for me, you know. In my career, I have witnessed some really terrible things. And, yes, they've lived with me, and, and that changed my life. Um, I, I hope for the better. But, sadly, some people, it doesn't work that way. And, right. And we really need to look out for that. So, for me, it might sound like a bit of a somber ending, but for the work that all the volunteers that are such epic people around the world, and I mean, we are one big family. Whenever I go overseas, I look at it and I say, hey, this guy just speaks a funny language, but he's exactly the same as me. He's got the same passion. He's got the same drive. They, work, they, they put their lives at risk to save other people. So let's look after them. Let's look after their well-being. Let's keep everybody happy. Let's keep the international rescue world out there going and smashing it and doing what we do best. And let's keep guys like you, you know, that, that share the stories because Often the, the veterans of, of sea rescue and that, like you know, are not really willing to share their stories. Right. And um, it's hard for us to sit, sort of, I always say, I feel terrible blowing my own horn. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's important that this kind of thing gets out. So kudos for what you're doing and, and thanks. Uh, for the rescue community in the world. It's really, really important. So yeah. And thanks for right. the opportunity. And, and, and just a tip give Jared a hard time because he's, he's actually studying up for his class three coxswain uh, assessment coming up shortly. So he's okay. under the cost there. So give him a hard time about it. Oh, done. Absolutely. As yeah. soon as I talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Great.
Graham, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing some stories, uh, dropping some knowledge to us. I absolutely love it. I love what you guys do down there. One of these days, I am going to make it a point to come down there and I'm I'm just going to be your student, if that's cool. And you can just teach me and yeah, throw me fun. in. You, yeah, that's fine. We'll take you out on the big new boat. We'll take you out on one of the little jet ribs in the surf. We'll tuck you in the surf with a wetsuit and a helmet on and we'll have lots of fun. And yeah, and that's what it's about. We've got to keep having fun. Oh yeah. Um, so yes, please. As okay, long as I, I, ha I might have to get approval for my wife, but yes, please. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. You we'll sort your wife. We'll, we'll be, let's bring her too. Let's throw her in the boat. Oh, too. that's fine. Bring her. Yes. Bring her. We'll throw her in the boat. Bring I her. love it. She'll be like, hell no. And I'll be like, honey, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring oh, her. You know what? Her. Actually, she'll be the one on the shore calling, hey, you're late. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. No doubt. Uh, I expect nothing less. I mean, I'm with you guys, so I got nothing to worry about, right? Yeah, no, you're in safe hands. All good. Awesome. Well, Graham, I look forward to coming down and hanging out with you guys. Thank you again so much for coming on. Uh, and I'll see you in, on the next time. All right. Thanks, Quinny. Really good chatting to you. And, and you take care. Look after yourself. Yes, sir. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here go thank you for tuning in we hope you enjoyed this episode of the real rescue podcast please take a minute to like subscribe and hit that share button i'm pulling chocks and taking off but before i go if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share i would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here send an email to Jason at therealrescue.com. That's Jason at T H E R E A L R E S Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember when that star alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>